Hey, music lovers, the Cannamom Show podcast in collaboration with Lambkin Guitars is giving away a custom-built, one-of-a-kind electric guitar built by Josh Lampkin. The solid one-piece hemp wood body includes a built-in glass bowl piece. Yeah, you heard me right. You can take a hit and then play a lick. Now's your chance to help the Cannamom Show crush cannabis stigma with your entry. Register for the Hemp Guitar Giveaway online at lampkinguitars.com. That's L-A-M-K-I-N guitars.com. The drawing will be part of a 420 celebration at the Goods Dispensary in Somerville, Massachusetts, where the guitar is on display for the month of April. But don't worry, you don't have to live in Mass or be present to win. Visit LampkinGuitars.com to scope out the Hemp Guitar giveaway details and entry form. You'll even find a video of what could be your guitar in action. L-A-M-K-I-N-Guitars.com What is up, everybody? We have a wonderful episode of Cannabis Legalization News today. Uh, we have a somebody who was sentenced to life for weed, but now he's freed, and he is a guest on the show. We're totally stoked to have him. Remember, this is one of the repercussions about the adult use industry being 21 plus. I mean, if you can vote, it's 18 plus, but it's still for mature audiences. And now we have to talk to uh, a victim of the terrible laws that we have out there. What is up, everybody? It's me, Tom, Cannabis Industry Lawyer, and then Miggy420, joined by Craig Cecil. Craig, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you. As you know, I, I have a mission to make people aware of that. As much as they run around here in Illinois or in California and other places saying marijuana is legal, we've got a lot of our brethren still locked up for marijuana, and they're still locking up more. Are you in Illinois, Craig? Yes, I'm in the Chicago area. Can we get you on a license? Are you on a license yet? Because I don't, I can't think of anybody more social equity than somebody who was sentenced to life, like unjustly for this plant, you know? To be honest, I can't figure out how to access the system, which is typical of people in my situation. The one thing that I am aware of, in Illinois, you need a card, an ID to work in a dispensary. Mm -hmm. Because I have a... But, a federal marijuana conviction on my record, I can't get that license to work in an Illinois dispensary. Oh, geez. Seriously. And, and I am fighting that. And again, I'm trying to make people aware of that. Here, I'm considered one of the founders of the industry. My indictment in 2001 said that I was responsible for bringing 39 semi loads of marijuana to Chicago over a 20 month period. Well, that Craig, likely created some people that liked marijuana here. But <laughs> <laughs> well, Craig, your case is pretty crazy because, like, when you got arrested and incarcerated, you've never touched a plant. No, I, I don't even smoke it. I was convicted of uh, consp conspiracy. My business here in the Chicago area had amongst its customers, uh, it, it was a truck repair facility, and uh, one of my customers was a Florida company. And they said by me assisting them through the truck repairs, that made me part of the marijuana conspiracy. And because I was responsible then for everything their company did, although I had no prior convictions, I was sentenced to life imprisonment without the possibility of parole. Which jurisdiction, which venue were you in? Which courthouse sentenced you um, to life and then why? Well, first it was in Chicago who dismissed it, Texas that dismissed it. And then finally, in the uh, U.S. District Court, Northern District of Georgia, which falls into the Gainesville area. And again, they, they just said because the trucks traveled through that area to get to Florida. They had <laughs> jurisdiction. Wow. Yes. So this is the Bush administration's Department of Justice then, the tough on crime uh, Department of Justice that was prosecuting you and doing like what they call um, forum shopping in litigation. Yes, shopping. Where they are looking for... Good for that. You know. Pardon that? 
John Ashcroft, the attorney general at the time, was good for things like that. Yeah, I hated that wow. guy. That guy was so <laughs> freaking annoying. But then, um, so they, that that's that's terrible that not only would they not know that they didn't have a case, they would then continue to pursue you in new novel jurisdictions until they could get a conviction. Wasn't there any like, you know, um, double jeopardy or some type of immunity that you have gotten through the uh, dismissal process in the previous jurisdictions? Unfortunately, no, because how the, the courts define jeopardy means that you were convicted and sentenced. You have to actually be sentenced before jeopardy attaches. So I'll, so since all these other jurisdictions dismissed the case before I was sentenced, there was no double jeopardy issue. They, sadly, if they really wanted to, the states could prosecute me as well, because there is no jeopardy bar to the federal government charging you for weed and then the states with each time that they were doing that trying to shop around for your uh, your conviction were you aware of each time it was going through or was it just like at the end when you find out like holy shit really like they were coming after me this whole time over whatever oh believe me i knew because each time cost me uh fifty thousand dollars or more for an attorney damn a whole lot of time off of court to go to work or to go to court, you know, and, and things of that nature. And uh, there's no doubt I was aware. Yeah. But uh, the lawyers in the first two cases assured me that fixing trucks uh, and not participating in any of the cannabis-related, you know, activity was legal. So I was assured by actually several lawyers that I paid a lot of money to that there was nothing illegal about it. Georgia, unfortunately, uh, the court, they didn't care about that. Yeah, I would have qualified that. I mean, like, there's no way that this is illegal. And then once we would have gotten into Georgia, I'm like, ah, crap. Georgia doesn't care if it's not illegal. They'll just do it anyway. Um, but uh, the, the lawyer's confidence should sometimes be uh, given a second opinion, especially when you meet a lawyer in a piece of litigation and they go, ah, this is a slam dunk. Be like, oh, really? Can I get that in a memo and then forward that to another lawyer and be like, is this guy out of his nut? You know, like, what, what is he talking about here? Because I've seen um, a lot of stuff uh, in my my litigation career and I haven't been in court now in two years. I mean, I've just been doing deals, but uh, maybe I'll get back to it. You know, <coughs> Craig, it's sadly uh, that they're uh, still locking up a lot of people for cannabis, yeah, including Illinois state officials here in Illinois, where I am, because sadly, if a person drives down the block with two or three pounds of marijuana in the back seat of their car, they're subject to going to prison in Illinois. But yet they can drive around with, you know, as many cases of bourbon in the back seat as they want. You know, it doesn't make right. a whole lot of sense. Yeah. And that's that's, that's exactly, exactly right. I was, I was just talking to a prosecutor the other uh, week. We had a, a Peoria County Bar Association event. And so I, I went, attended that and, you know, saw my peers and that's one of the things that the prosecutors would mention would be yeah sure weed's legal but it's just like an open container law so you're not allowed to be driving i mean if you do have that uh, bourbon in the back fine you're not allowed to have that bourbon like open though it still has to be sealed in the back uh, and it's the same thing with uh, with weed but even like a little bit more draconian because you don't have possession limits when it comes to bourbon and you have possession limits when it comes to weed and then you have to have it like sealed and out of your uh, anywhere that you can get at it, you know, like, so if you put it in the trunk, so if you go to the dispensary, throw it in the trunk and then drive home. Yeah. And mind you, when, when I, President Trump commuted my sentence after 19 years, 19 years, 19 wow. years, I, I was sitting in the U S penitentiary at Terre Haute, Indiana. And, uh, President Trump commuted my sentence of life imprisonment without parole to time served. But what, what a lot of people don't realize is that left the adjoining uh, sentence of supervised release for five years still intact. So although I was out of prison, I was still bound by the sentence I was serving, which meant I couldn't leave, you know, without special permission, the Northern District of Illinois. But more scary than that, Although I had to walk past two dispensaries to go see the doctor, I couldn't walk into either one because that would be a, a violation of federal law. Now, how yeah. can that be? President, or, as you know, Justice Thomas uh, recently commented about that. Mm -hmm. 
that, uh, and this is the Supreme Court justice saying, this doesn't make sense. Yeah. They said that while they declined to hear a case about the IR, the, the double taxation that the industry has to go under. So it's like, your your laws are insane, but we're going to allow them to continue. You know, and, and then uh, I was very dismayed last week when the Biden administration uh, didn't go to bat for the industry at all. And you still can't buy, even though like D.C. legalized adult use in 2014. So it's been eight years. You still ha- can't have, uh, you know, commercial transactions in a, a legal adult use product in the nation's capital. And they did not expand the protection against the raids from the Department of Justice to protect the adult use industry. It's still just protecting only the licensed medical industry. Here's here's the worst part. Throughout my time in prison as a lifer with no criminal history and a marijuana case, that allowed me to get, as a lifer, to get into medium custody prisons. So as a lifer, being the only lifer sometimes in the prison, I could lead all the protests. I was the guy that had nothing to lose. They couldn't take away my good time. They couldn't threaten me with other charges because of, no, no prosecutor will prosecute somebody already sentenced to life without. And uh, I could lead a lot of protests and I actually was able to accomplish a few things within the prisons. Well, I didn't stop doing that when I left prison. Right now on my email, I have just shy of 200 federal prisoners that are in prison for marijuana only. Wow. wow. I went to work for an outfit right out of prison that is actually sponsored by the cannabis industry to help marijuana prisoners. Which one? I, I worked for the last prisoner project. That's cool. That's cool. D'Angelo on the show before, and he's mentioned those things. I mean, that's the, I'm glad that he's raising those profile and you're working with them. And there's still a list of 200 uh, uh people behind bars for nothing besides cannabis. That's just the ones that I know of. There's probably, you know, nearly double that number. Federal level here, comes, federal? here comes in the difficulty. The um, Last Prisoner Project is wholly financed and created by people from within the cannabis industry. And I've advocated for the complete federal de- decriminalization of marijuana. Let's make it no, no longer a federal controlled substance. And let's make it retroactive to everybody, including me, with a marijuana conviction, and especially those in prison. Let's make that conviction go away, and, you know, let's let them walk out of prison. Unfortunately, that resulted in me being fired from the last prisoner project. Ooh. Because of this industry uh, right now is enjoying uh, near monopolies in their markets throughout the United States. If we look at dispensaries, especially here in Illinois, they're prim- primarily made up of people with clout and people with money. They're, they're kind of an elite group. And that yeah. group doesn't want the guy that's selling weed on the corner in a position where he can't be prosecuted. They don't want the, the people down the street that open up the pop-up store in a position where they can't be uh, arrested for competing with the dispensaries. But even more, they don't want it so that the uh, grow operations in California, some of them which are set up to grow as much as 40 acres of marijuana, they don't want them to suddenly monopolize the the whole United States grow operation. So unfortunately, my interests conflicted with that of the the current marijuana industry. (laughs) And so that, that kind of put me on the outs. What I'm trying to, you know, trying to suggest is let's find a way to federally decriminalize it and get these people out of prison, but at the same time put in some protection for what's now the legacy cannabis industries in the states that allow it. Yeah, isn't that something else? How it's all about freedom and justice until your pocketbook's at issue, and then it's like, hang on a second, there, bro. Sure, it's important that we get people out of prison, but I got to report quarterly profits next year, and my stock options aren't going to be worth shit if we miss them, you know. Uh, and and then that's the protectionism. Do you because we're in Illinois right now raising money for craft grows so that those true social equity winners can actually can keep control of their licenses and not have to just completely sell them out. 
we will be able to do it. I really hope so. But it's been extremely difficult to try to find uh, real partners as opposed to just people that think that, you know, for whatever reason, you you were given my license unfairly. And so here's some money. I get all control now. Uh, and, and we've been running into that. And then also uh, the uh, the MSOs in the state of Illinois, they're opposing a bill in the legislature that would allow those social equity craft grows to go from 5,000 square foot flowering canopy, which would be approximately 3,000 pounds of cannabis a year that they would be able to harvest up to 14,000. So there would be about 8,000 pounds of cannabis. And they say, no, we can't we can't allow that. These these MSOs, their cultivation facility license allows for 210,000 square feet of canopy space. It's not like they're really even competing in the same league. I don't understand why they don't. Why don't why don't they just actually want to compete uh, in, in a business? Why do they have to have it be just a sure thing? You know, because, uh, like. as you say, they're interested in their profits. Yeah. Yesterday, I marched down uh, uh, the street in Chicago in the St. Patrick's Day parade carrying right. a cannabis equity sign. And I can tell you, we got the loudest cheers out there of everybody on the side including the line of police officers that line the side. Nice. So people in general support, you know, the, the complete opening up of cannabis. You know, let's make it as easy to open up a cannabis store as it is to open a liquor store or a hair salon. You know, right. why does it have to be regulated like it is? Regulated the same as oranges and bananas and corn, every other plant that grows in Illinois. <laughs> no shit. Craig, for your life sentence, was it like a one, uh, like... 99 year sentence or was it like a bunch of 10 year sentences because of like Rico charges and stuff like that? Nope. Unfortunately, a drug charge carries up to life imprisonment without the possibility of parole. So I had one count, one charge of conspiring to possess with the intent to distribute marijuana. And I was sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. Because you Damn. just had that amount. I mean, because like, it's like I, I, I'm not a criminal lawyer. I'm a business lawyer. I mean, I, I've done litigation, but I've never done criminal defense nor prosecution. Um, but I've read the Controlled Substances Act years ago. And there is one like if you just are over the amount of weight or possession limits where life in prison becomes an option. Uh, how much weight was involved in this operation that you were ensnared in that conspiracy charge for? Uh, the. The amount is just one of the factors that factor into how a sentence is computed under the marijuana sentencing guidelines. I was held responsible for 30,000 kilos of marijuana, which they imagined to be the amount of marijuana that this trucking company had hauled. Damn. And this was just an estimate. There was no seizure of that. But there's a whole lot of enhancements. Because I owned and used a telephone, that was an enhancement. But the biggest enhancement was for obstruction because I refused to cooperate them with the uh, prosecution or the DEA in the prosecution of others, you know, involved in the cannabis industry. That was the major part Mm. of my sentencing guideline. And unfortunately, if you look at most of the people sentenced to life for cannabis, that they're in the same boat, you know. That's why I could walk around the prison and never have to worry about my back. Nobody would ever call me a snitch. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was going to ask you about that, too, because uh, um, you got the longest sentence out of that whole uh, whatever group, right? Yes, the the sentences ranged from five years to, uh, um, I think it was 130 months uh, for people with prior convictions. So longer than the actual smugglers themselves, just because you don't want to be like, look, here's everything I know. You know, then that was it because, you know, they they were determined that I could cooperate with them and refuse to do it, you know, in the prosecution of others. Unfortunately, that's our federal justice system. It seldom relies on them actually catching people committing a crime, but rather somebody facing, you know, prosecution on a state crime, pointing the finger at somebody else. That's exactly what happened in my case. The driver was actually caught crossing the Mexican border with the truck full of marijuana. Oh, shit. And he said, they, they told him that we'll reduce your sentence for every person you implicate. And he says, oh, yep, I used to have my truck service at Craig's shop in Chicago. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's how I got ensnared on a warrant months after the crime occurred. 
Well, now, Craig, let's talk about like when you went to jail, like when you first walk in, because you you served your time was in Terra how hot, right? But was it the whole time or just a little bit of that time? Nope, as a lifer, um, we're you know obviously the high security people of the system uh, because you know if we murder a, a guard or anybody, there's really nothing they can do to us. So what they do is about every five years they transfer you from institution to institution. So you don't get too comfortable there. And then you also become an escape risk. So Damn. I started out at the penitentiary down in Atlanta, Georgia. Then I went to the U.S. penitentiary, Big Sandy, which is one step down from the ADX in Florence, Colorado. There was 19 people killed there my first year there. It was a very, very violent place. Oh, wow. Luckily, I, I worked it in law stuff. I had a certificate as a paralegal. I became the jailhouse lawyer. Nice. <laughs> You'll cover your ass for sure. That's what yeah. my, my well, that, that endeared me to all the people of all the different groups. And uh, it, it really was my protection. It was my blessing the rest of my time. That's awesome. We're going to take a quick break to celebrate a 420 somewhere. It's 20 past the hour. We're on with Craig Cecil discussing this. And this bumper is brought to you by Collateral Base. I can't smoke in here, but I got some lemon haze that smells delicious. <laughs> I'm in trouble for being late for 420. <laughs> you know, uh, time. We, we have shtick on our show, and so when people are like, yeah. hey, you're missing the shtick, I'm like, all right, well, we'll get back to it. Let's let Craig finish his point. That's, 422 you know, is 422. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe that you did serve 20 whole years. So how many years did you serve? It sounded more like 20, you know? Well, I was actually in prison March 23rd, 2002, and I served until January 20th, 2021. So just 19 years. And I remember when you came out, I mean, I wanted to have you on the show, and I'm like, ah, oh, that guy hasn't been out of prison in so long. Have Let him. He'll, we'll get him on the show eventually, you know, but... Yeah. What did you miss and what were you so happy to uh, be able to do after you were finally given back your freedom? Um, several things. A lot of people ask what was the first thing I craved to eat. And that was an orange. Oh, really? Wow. During the Obama administration, they cut out all fruits, fresh fruits and vegetables. What? So oh. I hadn't had an orange or any kind of citrus fruit in over eight years. That is oh such bullshit God. because his wife was going on and on about all this healthy living and all these healthy lifestyles. And meanwhile, they cut out fresh fruits and vegetables from the prison yes. population's diet. Yes. I am they cut out most of our food, to be honest. Looks like but the prison I, population. I, that night I did, for us in Chicago, I did have a Luma Lottie's pizza. <laughs> oh, <laughs> good. Like you said, you were a Chicago man. And so like I, because I, 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 I used to split time between Old Town and, and Peoria, Illinois before Corona. But then after Corona, you're kicked out of Chicago. And so I've been downstate since then. Uh, and I would stop into a Lou Malnati's or a Nuno's or Dues if I was downtown, downtown, and get one of the frozen pies and then bring that back downtown, uh, downstate to, to eat and share with the uh, the family down here. But uh, I bet you probably, I would have missed that if I was kept away from it from 20 years. But the thing is, is it gave me the resources to truly fight for the people I left behind. My Sully, the person I, I shared a seven by 11 foot cell with. And mind you, the prison had been locked down since March 17th of 2020 for COVID. Three times a day, they throw your food through a hole in the door. But otherwise, you're you're just in the cell. Damn. So I was stuck in the cell with another marijuana offender who bought 200, him and his wife bought 240 pounds of marijuana out of the back door of a dispensary out in California and drove it back to their home in Milwaukee. Oh, fuck. Well, they got caught in Milwaukee with it. Where it's quite illegal, by the way. I went to law school in Milwaukee. I'm still waiting. I guess like when you graduate from law school in Wisconsin, you get something called diploma privilege. It doesn't exist anywhere else in the United States. You just become a lawyer. You graduate, they swear you in. And then um, I have not done any work in Wisconsin. And when did I graduate? 2008. And so it's been 14 years. They still haven't legalized weed. And it doesn't look like they are any closer to legalizing weed, you know? Well, unfortunately, he was he and his wife were charged by federal officials. Mm. And for him, 
he got an 18-year sentence. His wife, since she had a, a prior violent phone call on her record, she got a 22-year oh. sentence. Oh, my God. But mind you, that's a sentence without the possibility of parole or anything. And the average time served for murder in the United States is 12.4 years. They brought 240 pounds of marijuana to people in Wisconsin who love marijuana. But uh, yet they're going to serve more time in prison than a murderer. And where's their victim? Right? No, but that's like <laughs> Roger Christie. They, they didn't even prosecute him. They kept him incarcerated for five years. Like the, the, the fact that the, the you cannabis violators, for lack of a better word, are considered like non-human. Like you're not like that. The, the judicial system totally has failed us as, as Americans, you know, but especially for you, man, like like serving so long when you first got incarcerated. How long before like people reached out to you that you realize like, you know, there's people outside who actually give enough. Actually, 10 years. Damn. Um, I, I was down since 2002, and after the first few months, I got two cards on my birthday and two cards on Christmas. I have two sisters. In 2012, an ACLU lawyer in New York wrote a book that featured me that, that was called uh, A Living Death, Life Without the Possibility of Parole for a Nonviolent Offense. Well, th what that did is that garnered a whole lot of advocates that at the time were only advocating for the legalization of marijuana. And now they realize, hey, we need to look at the, the victims of the lack of legalization. Yeah. So, to, so I applied for clemency under President Bush, denied. Clemency under President Obama, denied. I didn't even apply for, under President Trump. But yet a whole lot of those activists that since 2012 have included me in everything, I would get Christmas cards from normal operations all over the country. I, I, you know, actually got a lot of coverage as a first time offender doing life for marijuana. But all these people championed my case to the White House. And without even, a, I didn't even have a clemency petition filed, yet I was granted clemency by President Trump. Why? Because he said the the sentence didn't fit the crime. So, so it was because of the uh, the sentence not fitting the crime, and it wasn't like a COVID relief thing. Then it wasn't like a COVID safety shit that you got released for. It was well, because. But that's that's like the only time I've ever heard President Trump apply logic and reason <laughs> to fact, and then do something that made sense. How did this benefit him? I mean, like this this uh, to and again, lifelong Illinois Democrat. You know, almost ran for something uh, this year, but I'm like, I'm running this business. I'm too busy. Uh, why do you think President Trump uh, granted, you said clemency, right? He granted me a sentence commutation. He commuted said, my uh, sentence from uh, life to time served. And left do you have any idea behind his intention or who was, who was well, uh, fighting actually, for he, him? He commuted the sentence of life uh, from 12 federal prisoners serving life for marijuana. So I wow. think what he was doing at the time was trying to build a legacy. And I, I think this came through, you know, his daughter, his sons, you know, uh, building a legacy of, you know, people that could actually attract, you know, both political, uh, you know, benefit for them as supporting the cannabis industry. And, you know, just we, we were easy cases because the public, Everywhere I go, people are telling me I don't belong in prison. I even went for a, a large motorcycle ride a few months ago with the Illinois State Police. Nice. Oh, my God. And there was a whole lot of jokes about the felon and the cop. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> oh, man. We should get you guys out of that next round. We would have never yeah. put you in prison. <laughs> but, but you like, know, the, the, the way that they define social equity, I don't, you, you failed to satisfy the elements regarding the Illinois law. Because the, there was possession limits, and like New York just came out with their definitions too, and so the, the states can self-deal when they define social equity, and, and that's what they did in New York and Illinois, not in New Jersey. In New Jersey, I think you'd be able to qualify social equity because it was a federal charge and a conviction with a marijuana-related offense, and, and as a result of that, you'd be granted social equity status there, but not in Illinois. Or in New, uh, New York, because they require you to be a state violator. So, like, you violated their own state laws, 
usually for low levels, like 500 grams or less. I believe you were talking about 30 kilos or how many? 30,000 kilos. Yes, that's more than 500 grams. Yeah. It, it was user quantity. Yeah. <laughs> hey, that's all personal use, officer. That's what I'm Craig, you know, uh, I've been uh, like that last uh, bout of people who got clemency and whatnot. Uh, the list was amazingly... I've been helping for years, Kristen Floor, you know, and uh, uh, Stephanie Lambda, all the Freedom Grove. Uh, yes, you know, I know them very, very well. Yeah. yeah, like like I've known your story way too long and I'm too, way too familiar with you. And it's really nice to talk to you. But like I, I, there's so many times I would hear you talk to like Joe Grumbine over the goddamn uh, uh, from the cell, you know, because you would call in and all these things cost money, right? Like minutes to, for your phone or whether it be a stamp, like um, – I just think, though, like, because you made it from paralegal, so trying to understand the system, trying to figure out how to free people. So what I noticed at that last bench releases, because you were there for, you were free for a year, at least you, we were home, home incarcerated. But like all the other names that came out, like Michael Peltier, uh, these all names are familiar to me. People who I helped get petitions and help put, because uh, physically when they have to receive all these clemency letters and whatnot, they have to note it and annotate and, and physically mark like, okay, another American sent this. Dear Mr. President, please free like Lance Glor. Do you think that really does help from your your side of things? No doubt. Because like I say, I didn't even apply for clemency. I didn't even have a petition in there. I was granted clemency solely based on the, the activities of the advocates pushing the White House. And that also applies to some of those other people. Because I know every single one of the 12. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm saying. They were all too common. contact with them very frequently. And, you know, nice. we, we're a club. We, we're, you know, because there's things about our sentence. There's, there's things about a life sentence that I could never explain to you in, in that you could realize how that feels. How that God feels man. to be treated really crappy by a guard and then go sit on your bunk and know that you're stuck putting up with that until you die, you know? I mean, it's just something that, that you can't understand unless you've lived it. Yeah. Well, people, how, did you, how did that, because I'm a man who's uh, really enjoyed his freedom more than most, I'd say, um, uh, just with the shit that I've done. And like, this is not my job. Um, how did that make you feel when you were, when you were first checking in to uh, the shittiest hotel you never had to pay for in your life? Um, like, what was going through your mind when you first got uh, into the joint, as they call it? Uh, that exact feeling that, you know, as crappy as it was, uh, of all the indignities you have to go through, you know, being naked and separating your cheeks and all the, all that stuff. And then just, you know, the guards that don't see prisoners as people. And they, you know, they're very, very abusive. And their answer to say, you know, here's the rule you got to give me you know, at least a couple of meals a day. Nope, don't come to prison. You know, I mean, to, you're in many ways abused in prison. And that was the first thing that just surprised me is that I could be so badly abused. And that, you know, so many people were used to that. So that's why I took off fighting that. Because as the lifer, like I say, I had nothing to lose. I spent months and months and months in solitary confinement in a shoe, but I would never let them know that it hurt me. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I remember they would fuck with you because, I mean, do you, can you summarize like how many calls of action? Like, uh, you know, Sherry Sicard, she would put out like Craig's short on insulin again. They're not giving him his his, his medicine, which is a huge thing. You know, like how many times did that happen? Where like people had to reach out from the outside into like hey and then you got aggression from the guards right because they thought you were some sort of like celebrity now at some point right and a, a lot of the guards supported me none of them that were trying to get rank did but the regular rank and file ones did support me i mean very strongly but as you know the the top echelon they were mad at me when it, when i could get a complaint out like when the the dental department just closed at the prison for six months and there was lots of people run, running around with swollen cheeks and, Man. you know, infectious stuff leaking out of their mouths. And it, it was a real disaster when the call to action made a difference at the prison when they got a lot of calls and a lot of letters and, you know, pushes to Washington, D.C. They didn't like that. So they punished me. And the only way they could is I'm an insulin dependent diabetic. And at one point they cut off my insulin for six months. 
What's still bearing the brunt of that? My right leg has been brown ever since. I, I have a lot of side effects of that. But this, and the, unfortunately, the Seventh Circuit uh, Court of Appeals in Chicago said that that's within their discretion. Are you kidding me? Wow. No. That was just a few months ago. It finally got resolved. This is sad because this is what the courts do not uh, provide the oversight that they should to the prisons. Nope. A, a person that had a broken arm and they never treated it and it was visibly broken. The courts determined that they, since they gave them ibuprofen, that was enough of medical care. That's crap. And I think this is one of the reasons why cannabis has been prohibited for over 80 years is because as soon as you can make somebody make a moral judgment in their head, that, that person's bad, wrong, needs to be punished. You don't have to think about them again. And then like it, it, it's easy for that square's life to go about and then they don't have to because it doesn't concern them. And that person shouldn't have done that. And like, so they can just kind of judge you and then say, well, now that you're getting all these types of terrible treatments, you deserve that. As if the frickin' marijuana laws made a lick of sense since day one. And yeah. if the, anybody that got punished for them was punished justly, or if it was just punished because we're, we're cruel, stupid people. In a cruel piece of irony, the cornerstone at the prison in Terre Haute, Indiana is 1937. Well, <sighs> Oh, my God. <laughs> so they were probably smoking pot when they built the prison. <laughs> but, oh, my God. It's just, you know, it's horrendous, the shit you went through just for, for one, not even, like, being caught with, with the plant. You know, just this form of justice where they thought, oh, we got them. We saved a lot of people that no one saved. But, yeah, because it ruined your life, man. Because, and again, uh, I know a lot about your story, and, and I know a lot about your 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 life. If I if I touch anything, let me know not to. But like, I know like your life. You went in pre smartphone and came out after smartphone. So like, fucking life moved a hundred years for you, man. Like, you're 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 you had kids that you would take to Disneyland when you had your mechanic job, when you had your business. You would you, you had kids that were thriving as kids. Uh, you know, just, you know, I've, I've seen your, your daughter Lauren's post about how, like, you know, our life went upside down as soon as they took you away. Like, you had normal functioning kids, which now uh, you became part of the system. They became part of the system at the same time. And and I know, like, your 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 your, your son passed away while you were locked in, right? And your, so did your father. Unfortunately, he ended up in a homeless shelter mm. under the influence of drugs and ended up dying. Yeah. Now, had I been home, my son would have never, ever been in a homeless shelter. Never. Yeah. Or even being in a state of He would have had a father for the, right. you know, all the years I yes. was home, you know. They, what's the average price to incarcerate an inmate in federal prison on an annualized basis? The last number I've seen was $36,000, but I know it's, it's up significantly since then because that was with actually a whole lot more prisoners and with the same amount of staff. Now the federal prison population is down about 40%, but they still have the same amount of staff. Remember, they're government union employees. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, uh, hard to get rid of them. Cost easy to get more is undoubtedly higher. It's probably closer to about $50,000 per inmate per year. Wow. It's crazy. Think about that. In, in the case of my, you know, figure 20 years in prison, there's a million dollars. Plus the cost that it took to prosecute me and all that. But what was the benefit to the American public? Right, none. <laughs> yeah. and I mean, and to reflect on like, how much it costs to be in prison. That means if you're taking care of a person, God damn it. Like it means if you're actually helping their needs. I mean, didn't everything cost a prison from TP to goddamn toothpaste? Like just to take Absolutely. care of yourself? a haircut, the, the clothes, gym shoes to go outside. I mean, all that a prisoner has to buy. Yeah. But then like, let's just call it, let's be conservative and say it was 30 grand a year. Federal prison costs to, to house you uh, 21 years. $630,000. I don't think $630,000 of our tax money needed to go to break up your family and to torture your, I mean, like, and to unjustly harm and injure your family because uh, we have never 
looked at this plant and regulated it appropriately. We've always looked at it and regulated it uh, hysterically, you know, as if it is just some type, if, if it is heroin. And it's not. And I, I just can't believe that. And then real people like yourself have been injured in the process. So I'm really thankful and grateful that you've, through all of that, uh, been a wonderful advocate. And, you know, you're fighting for the change and for uh, regular people to be able to have a shot in this industry. Well, let's, let's keep our cannabis industry responsible. In the states that have cannabis stores, walk in and ask the owner how many people with cannabis records they have working there. How many people did, of the founders of the industry, how many are, are the industry actually looking out for? People that can't get jobs otherwise because of that felony conviction. I'm asking the cannabis industry to support them. And then the, is that why the, so you said that's why the life uh, prisoner project let you go though. Oh my God. Yes. Because I was advocating for, you know, legalization of marijuana, which would cut into the profits of our current, you know, cannabis industry. You know, I mean, for years though, I've, I've been personally helping like uh, uh, Tom at uh, Stephanie at Seattle Hemp Fest. Uh, one day that'll ever happen again, I hope. And you can see that amazing event, dude. But you know, there was 200,000 stoners just hanging out and, and we'd be getting petitions for your name. But uh, uh, I personally advocate for, you know, like just the the damage control from this goddamn war on drugs. Right. Like the, the reaching out to you and behind prison and sending you a letter, you know, just letting you know you're a human. Because like when you went in, I can imagine. Tell me if I'm wrong. The, the dichotomy goes, you go in. You're fearing for your ass because of a horny inmate, right? Like, you're like, okay, do I worry about... But you were in a snitch, so you're pretty much in a safe spot as a pot smuggler where they won't fuck with you, pretty much. I mean, but survival, though. Because you were a life prisoner, therefore, you were considered, like, the worst of the worst. So you're hanging out with, like, you know, not other pot people sometimes. What... I'm just addressing, I'm crazy. I'm sorry. I'm just, like... The one I talked to you for years, man, about how crazy. So, like, you go from fear of your fellow inmates, and then they, you know your status, but then you have fear of the guards. Like, how does that work? Like, you're just constant, just threat. <laughs> like, how do you survive and stay positive, man? Um, by, by making progress. Through my legal fights for the other inmates, both against the Bureau of Prisons and for them in court. That made it so I could get up every morning. Granted, I lost more fights than I won. But I want enough of them to make it worthwhile. Right, the you, together in prison, what, one of my best friends at Terre Haute was Big Billy. Big Billy's really? six foot eight. And Big Billy's responsible for killing two people in a store on an Indian reservation. Oh, but Big Billy was one of my protectors. <laughs> yeah. But it's a, it's a, in prison culture, it's more survival. And like, you know, we, we know that there's like, gangs and shit behind bars it's a whole different culture right but and then the worst part is all of everybody else turns away like the guards the ones that they're supposed to protect you turn around and let the other world survive until it affects their day right until like oh now we're inconvenienced because you just got hurt <laughs> you know it's, it's actually just, you know because the, the gangs hurt people for their reasons yeah sadly the, the guards will support that the, the prisoners really do run the prison you know it's fucking nuts, dude. I've seen a lot of people killed, and the the, the guards, you know, just kind of shrug and go on. So go to jail for pot, and you watch people die behind bars. That's fucking insane, dude. Lots and lots of them, and, and I mean, I've seen worse. And but it's yeah. just the, it's just the society that exists in our prisons. Well, I think, that's exactly the I think our prisons are. Uh, I got, I got, what do they call it? A caricature. Like, you know, our prisons are an overexpressed, uh, ex, you know, expression of our regular society as well. I mean, that they are ours. I mean, that's that was what we designed. That was our criminal justice system that we wanted to see. Uh, I thought it was fascinating, though, that because you were a lifer, you had nothing to lose. And so, like, you weren't like one of the other ones that are worried about the, the man leaning on you for extra years. They got all of them already. You know, and so uh, that 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 was interesting that that allowed you to be the advocate for uh, other inmates that might be trying to be able to get out. Now, one story I wrote that ended up getting published all over the place was about three years ago. There was a guy that came in the federal prison a year after me named John Walker Lynn. He was known as the white Taliban over in Afghanistan, and he shot 
some of our army rangers and some of our CIA agents over there. He was working for the Taliban. Somehow they took him alive. They brought him back to the United States and they said they convicted him of providing aid to terrorists by murdering for them. They gave him the maximum 20-year sentence. And three years ago, he was down the hall from me at Terre Haute. I watched him go home. Oh, my God. And the subject of the article I wrote said that had he provided aid to the Taliban by giving them marijuana instead of by committing murder, he'd have a life sentence like me. What's wrong with our laws? <laughs> Seriously, you know, like a lot. A lot. And they have been... Same thing. <laughs> the whole time and so like since 1970 with this current bullshit and so like you know you're talking 52 years with numerous studies people go in and out of prison like i don't mean like ah oh, it's just as nonsensical but then when you have nonsense you also have people that just don't seem to care uh, and that's one of the reasons why i think the nonsense continues because you know we are uh we're cannabis people and so you know, 85% of the population is not. They just aren't cannabis people, and so they don't care about the culture or really even us. I mean, they might even think like, oh, it stinks and it's bad for you. So you're still on a five-year uh, uh, probation, though, right? Um, Actually, two weeks ago, I went back to federal court with a completely new judge and all that because my case, case got transferred up to Chicago, and the judge here in Chicago said, no, you've been punished enough. Oh, thank God. My sentence is actually over. It's not expunged. It's still on my record. So I can't mm. go to Canada. I can't rent an Airbnb. I can't do a whole lot of things as a felon. I can't possess a gun. I can't. You, you know. can't go to Canada where it's legal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if you put a gun there, you give up. Fine. <laughs> I can't have a lot of federal licenses, but uh, including I, I was a private pilot. My. My license is revoked because I have a felony conviction. And this, this, this wow. is sad. Oh, but man, at least that sad. judge in Chicago, Andrea Woods, did the right thing. <laughs> Shout out to that person. That's good, though. I'm glad that there's oh, some good goodness. judges that are sitting on benches in Illinois. I'm glad to hear that. Uh, but, man, that really stinks. Uh, and so now, what are you doing these days? I mean, you said that you're not working with the last prisoner project no more. What are you doing to, uh, you know, work for yourself and also for the cause. I'm actually in three different uh, causes right now. I'm working with the human solution and we've set up a whole network of mentors to help mentor people when they give out, get out of prison, help give them some direction, help keep them from going back to prison and get them resources, get them some money because we're, we're getting more and more sponsors for us to use to help prisoners. Next, I'm working for Indica the National Diversity Inclusion and Cannabis Alliance. Oh and I'm working here in Chicago to help people expunge their uh, state convictions, their state cannabis convictions. And that's been really rewarding. I'm working with a lot of people to help them expunge that conviction and you know get better employment and things like that. <laughs> Lastly, I'm working with another group, the group that really represented me to the White House. And we're working on a cause right now for both a group and individual clemencies for everybody in federal prison for marijuana. Both President Biden and Vice President uh, Harris said during their campaigns that they favored clemency for federal marijuana prisoners. We're going to not only try to hold them to it by screaming a lot, going to hand them a list. Here's the people that need to get out of prison. And here's their Great. stories. Here's their faces. And here's their families. That's right. We're, we're and then, really, and then don't forget to also give the video of both of them saying they were going to do this and be like, just yes. remember when you said this? And then, you know, because Mickey made a meme out of it, and it's it's just them saying it on the yeah. time. They said they're going to do it, and then they didn't do it. And so, I, no, I'm very upset. Yeah, I'm still hopeful. And like I say, we're going to get we're going to drop the tools right in their lap that all you got to do is sign this. He, Here's the name. Dr. Tammy from Texas. She has clemency petitions. Is that the uh, can-do clemency that you're working with there? Yes. I, uh, I'm also working with Amy out there. Okay. I, I work with all these people, the people from Freedom Grow, the people from the Human Solution, uh, Weldon Angelos, all kinds of people that are fighting for the marijuana prisoners. And it, Like I say, it took 
20 people going to the White House and, and here I am outside of the Terre Haute prison. I want to be one of those 20 for the next group. Great. When that, when that letter when that letter is sent, you know, you give us a tip and we'll make sure that that's going to be one of the lead stories so that week. And so we can do a piece on it uh, as you guys hand that off. And then the response. We want to see if there's a response. And then we will we'll do telecast and be like, still no response. Call here, you know, because people watch. And we could we have uh, people that download the podcast. If you're listening to the podcast, hopefully you're enjoying it. Go review yeah. us on Apple Podcasts. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. And I also, you know, recommend that everybody, you know, look up the Human Solution International. That's the one you have to look up when you Google it. And that'll come up with the page, the Human Solution uh, itself. The other humansolution.com is like a furniture store. But uh, uh, the, it's a great organization. The Human because, Solution International and Joe Grumbine and yeah. all the other people. This is one of the original cannabis groups that a lot of these people actually started working with and kind of took their own issue and broke off like Amy broke off. Sherry broke off. Kristen and Stephanie broke off. Yeah. So these people are all kind of, you know, related at least through the human solution. Oh, yeah. And, then, you know, I got to, you know, shout out to Kristen. I've seen her raise thousands of dollars. And, like, when she needed money for her own, uh, you know, because she's raised the kids and everything, she puts it all and gives it to the, pay, you know, to yes. the prisoners. It's like... That's amazing. Of course, you know, there's other always there's always controversies because some people are going to be selfish. But the thing is, the, the Human Solutions is a really good organization. It's been helping and it helps promote the right things, you know, jury nullification, uh, you know, contacting prisoners, uh, raising funds for the prisoner awareness. You know, there's a lot of things out there. Right. And as you mentioned, Can Do Clemency and Freedom Grow and Project Green and so many of them are, are good people doing good things. But Buyer beware. I heard from a lot of people once I got out of prison how they donated to all these different places that contacted them to give money for my defense. And I never heard of these organizations and nobody else did. So buyer beware. You know, oh, yeah. when, you know uh, when somebody approaches you to say, you know, donate this money to help this person doing life in prison, make sure it is a legitimate crew. Yeah, that, that applies for business too. Out there. not just charity and so like it's the same way like when somebody tells you they can do something in business be like uh-huh that's true i hear that you're saying that you can do the service that i'm asking for you but how do i know that i mean it, it, you just see so much scallywags in business it doesn't surprise me that you see them in criminal prosecution you see them in legislators making stupid laws you even see them in uh not 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 entrepreneurs because at least entrepreneurs you know are in on the take philanthropists philanthropists raising money to rip people off yeah. come on america come on <laughs> cannabis seems to have a lot of scammers whether it be people raising funds for prisoners or raising funds because i got cancer i mean like there's been a, an array of scammers so you definitely need to search whoever before you devote deposit any money to anybody and like you say that group that we just talked about those are all great people doing great things. Please help all those groups. Because uh, I can tell you every holiday, I got some money on my books from Freedom Grow. And that makes a world of difference. That's right. That makes a world of difference when you're in the prison, when you have to pay for a haircut, when you have to pay for enough food to actually get full, when you have to yep. pay for, you know, your gym shoes, pay for your, you know, a pair of shorts. Pay for, you know, just some peanut butter to have in the locker, you know. It's not just your wellness as far as, like, in the prison, but it also, like, they've helped out your people at home. You know, are, yes. are you anytime soon going to be a, a grandfather? No, no, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm just checking, man. I was, uh, I'm thankful that, you know, it looks like we are going to be able to throw some money. Because, like, we, back when we had more money and, like, it was, it was a rough uh uh, years with trying to build a business and then like Illinois did nothing, nothing. And so you'd have like no clients there, but I think we're going to have a profitable month this month. And then we like to give our YouTube monies over to freedom grow, uh, when we have a profitable month at the, at the business. And so, uh, it looks like we'll be able to give about 200 bucks this month. Cause that's all right. this YouTube channel even makes, uh, we could make more if we were talking about literally any other subject, Alcohol. but because we're talking about this subject, <laughs> 
like suddenly it's it's a federal crime you know they will we were growing so fast and then like there's algorithms out there to prevent this message from reaching people there's algorithms to prevent the law from being changed so it's really difficult to try to get this law changed otherwise it would have happened you know i i thank you and I spent five years in your backyard in the prison at Pekin, Illinois, right next to Peoria. I had no okay. idea that you were down there, man. I would have said, hey, Say, uh, what I years were you there? To, Maybe I was in Milwaukee. I have no experience in you know, criminal. Like if, if you want me to set up holding companies and like shells and like explain to you how you can book things as different stuff cool or like hey somebody owes you that money based on this term of that contract we're going to court bro uh that but i i just didn't ever do the law the the criminal law side so uh what years were you in peak 2006 to 2011 i i was i got back in peoria in 2010 and so like i was mostly in milwaukee getting a law degree then yeah okay but even like now i i need to create another 501c3 oh let me help you out with that yeah. Okay. And we need to get an accountant involved as well, because you need to file some stuff with the secretary of state's office when you, uh, when you create that. I can do that. I had a C corporation where I had to do a lot of that. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Uh, Haven't done C corps. I like the <laughs> flexibility of LLCs. They're crazy, you know, but then uh, when I hear people doing C corps in uh, the cannabis industry, I'm like, why? So you can sell the Cresco for stock. <laughs> exactly. Because <laughs> yeah, and, 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 that's that's one of the, that's one of the only there's protections that you can get if you're going to be an LLC that elects to be taxed as a C corp or just an actual C corp. And there's flexibilities if you do the LLC that elects. Uh, but one of the things is that according to the tax laws, when you get absorbed by other entities, for that's your exit strategy. Uh, there might be tax benefits for being a C corp. And so whenever I see a company or like one of my clients wants to go in as a C corp, I'm like. So are you doing this for the right reasons? You're trying to make a flip, bro. <laughs> yeah. Well, the LLC works a little better for the lawyers who are only practicing. Those right. of us in the truck repair industry, we couldn't practice. We had to get it right every time. Craig, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> besides like the other things that we talked about are horrible in prison and, and not being treated like a human being, being a just a, a bag of meat that gets on rotation every five years, weren't you also labored during this time like to, to create funds so you can survive like weren't they paying you like a, a dollar an hour or some retarded thing like actually that? yes you, you work for what's called unicorn or federal prison industries unicorn or unicorn unicorn u-n-i-c-o-r it's an uh i i forgot what it, they stand for it's an abbreviation but in any event uh for instance at pekin we were making uh the camouflage uh, the army combat uniforms. And uh, so it was a sewing facility. I'm an excellent sewer. <laughs> but like you got like 50 cents out of that and they got like $10 million contract. Yes, you would start at uh, 23 cents an hour and you could work your way all the way up to the top job at $1.15 an hour. Oh my God. <laughs> and that would take about seven years. Holy how much were they making on this prison labor? Because this is essentially slavery. Like again, the Thirteenth well, Amendment. Remember has this the Thirteenth Amendment said we were slaves. That's why they don't have to pay us minimum wage. Under a sentence of imprisonment, ah, like that should slaves. not be the law anymore. And then people are more concerned about TikTok and stuff. It's like that's what? why we weren't covered under workman's comp either. So again, the, 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 the so punishment dumb and smart at the fit. same time. Yeah, no, but they don't fit. The punishment does never fit the crime. Like, how life sentence for pot, never get caught with any product, nothing, but yet serve the harshest terms with the harshest people. And then, like, other people like you thrown in the mix as well. Again, the, the, the justice system's failed. This is horrible. Man. And like I say, I, I had it better than anyone in prison because I was the guy in the fights. So half of the staff respected me, and most of the inmates had my back. <laughs> Yeah. No doubt. But you know, I still woke up in a in a bed that was 22 inches wide that I couldn't roll over in. You know, a mat that's less than three inches thick. Damn. That you sleep on. I could put my foot, you know, while I'm laying in bed, I could rest my foot on the toilet. 
Oh, shit. Mind you, this is a 7 by 11 foot cell that's shared by two people, a bunk, two lockers, a toilet, and a sink. There's not much room left. You really can't both stand at the same time in the cell. Damn. No. That's, uh, and again, and why are we here? Weed. All right, that's that's ridiculous. Like we can't really be doing this, right? I mean, they, we have the metaverse now, and like Bitcoin and stuff, like and like Internet four point five or whatever the heck one we're on now. People are smart, right? No, they are. And then there's the guy down the hall there that raped the children and filmed it to sell the films, and he has a two year sentence. Goddamn, that's. Just, I mean, what again, does that say about our society. Like that, we condone, like what you did was not worse than murder by any stripe of the imagination. Not, like, no, there's no rational, like, I can't put myself, and I'm, I'm fairly creative, but I can't find a reality to put myself in that justifies that being legitimate, you know? And yet that's how it is. That's ridiculous. That was because back in the 70s and 80s, when they had no idea how to get a hold of violent crime, drugs became the boogeyman. Yeah. The war on drugs was to stop violent crime, not to stop drugs. Because as we all know, there's way more drugs now <laughs> circulating than there was in the 70s or 80s. Yeah, there must be is way better. Heroin is way better. Cocaine <laughs> is way better. And it's way more plentiful. So they didn't stop that, but they did, you know, make a, a new initiative to say we're doing something about violent crime where we're locking up a guy that fixed trucks that hauled weed. Okay. And again, you say violent crime, and there's no way, and that's, again, something that's wrong with the system as far as, like, the labeling goes, because I know it's hard, since I've been doing this for years, trying to get all the pot cases, you know, because once you start doing this, you're like, oh, like, yeah, I want to save them all, but there's so many freaking people buried and layered, like, there's no easy way to go into the system and find all these cases, you know, when we talk about retrograde justice, we can't find the people in prison because they're so layered with charges of bullshit, Uh do you have uh, any easy ways to help people? Like, or is it just like we're doing now? It's, it's going to be like people from the inside need to reach out to those on the outside, like the human solution and be like, Hey, can someone help me get a pen pal or whatever? Is that what like, like uh, this week on the human solution podcast, which I've actually participated in for nine years. I did it from the prison. They threw yeah. me in the They went to punish me. The lawyers in Washington, DC, when I filed suit, just said, leave them alone. So I was able to do it from the prison and explain how life in the prison was. Now what I'm able to do is when I go on the podcast on on Wednesday uh, evenings, I'll have somebody from the prison call, put the phone on speakerphone and allow them to speak to the audience. So you can talk to somebody that's actually in prison about why they're in prison and how it feels to be in prison. And like me, a little bit over a year and a half ago, sitting on my bunk, looking out the, the window at the TV of the 60-minute special about marijuana grow operations. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's insane, man. <laughs> With just insane amounts of marijuana. <laughs> well, it must be yeah, gut-wrenching. But they're growing now. Like, those companies in Illinois are growing insane amounts of marijuana, and you can't get into the industry. I tell you what, that's uh, that's well, that's the difference between a right and a privilege, privilege right there. And so, if some states, I hear they have this right to farm thing, I don't think we have that. And and other states, Illinois is one of them. You had the privilege of cultivating cannabis; it's not a right. Correct. So you you can't you know sue them for denying you for virtually anything. You have no due process rights and a privilege. <laughs> but that's the problem, cannabis. Overall, it's still viewed as this low bullshit hanging nothing, and it should be something because Craig Cecil sat in jail for fucking 20 years. Like, god damn it, can we just fix the shit now? <laughs> and remember, every cannabis uh convict that, that is sentenced by a judge, a judge doesn't just sentence that one person. That judge sentences their entire family and their extended family and friends. Yes. My son was sentenced, and that's why he's now dead. My daughter was either the first or second rated in her, her school when I was arrested. She graduated barely uh, in the 50%, you know, range of her high school. Yeah. You know, things went steadily downhill for the for her. You know, my, my mother is going blind and, and I wasn't there to help her. You know, all those things, you know, the people that work for my business were suddenly out of a job. 
Yeah. No, it's just like a big domino of just fucked upness. There's nothing good about prohibition. Like, show me one freaking good thing. And I, yeah. I have yet to see it. But that judge saved the, the world from me fixing trucks that could haul marijuana. <laughs> Damn. That's something else. But, Craig, I wanted to thank you so much for coming on the show. How can people get in touch with you and, and help the people and your, your causes that you're working with? Well, as you know, I work with prisoners every single day. And I'm working with several different organizations. So to help a person, to help a prisoner, to help somebody out of prison suffering the effects of their cannabis conviction, I rely on these several groups. So I ask them to get a hold of me directly. You see my name, right? If I can figure out how to point. Yes, you're good. R-A-I-G-C-E-S-A-L. If you just put an at Gmail after it, you can get a hold of me by email. Sweet. Nice. Well, thanks so much, man. I really appreciate it. And, and I'm sorry that you had to go through that. But I'm very grateful that you're uh, fighting uh, the good fight for everybody else that has to go through it as well. Thank you for thank you for letting me have this pulpit. Thank you. Uh, anytime. Hey, All right. Us, man. Thanks, guys. See you on uh, Wednesday. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Really enjoyed having that guest on. I didn't know he was a paralegal. Oh yeah, I didn't know half the story. That I didn't realize the rotation shit. But or even in Illinois, I had no idea. About that. <laughs> That's right. I forgot about that one. I forgot.